Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 64, Cowling Fiberglass Techniques. So in the list of items that typically cause builders some some anxiety, fitting the, the fiberglass cowling and to a lesser degree some of the, the fiberglass fairings, uh, the wheel pants and the wingtips and all that, but fitting the fiberglass is one of those things that every builder just has to kind of go through. So we will talk about some of our techniques that we've used, talk about some of the tools and techniques, and try to give you a better intuitive grasp on how to tackle this part of the project and do it easily. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic 1374, and joining me once again are my two good flying buddies, John Gillis and Gary Motley. Gary Motley is a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. And uh, Gary, apparently you're a world traveler too. How you doing, Gary? Well, I'm doing well after my latest vacation. We speak of world traveling. It's true. I had an opportunity to go down to St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands for the week and hang out on basically a private beach and hang out in the hammock and sip some rum and, you know, just take life easy for a while. It's pretty nice. Yeah, and I was looking at some of the pictures you posted on Facebook, and I was thinking, that'd be a really nice place to be right now as I'm freezing my butt off and that cold blast coming through. It was. It had it had snowed right before we left. We went down there. Of course, it runs 78, 80 degrees pretty much year-round. Uh, humidity's a little high at times, a little bit of a passing sprinkle and rain shower, but those are real brief usually. Uh, so all week there was really nice, pretty much sunny all the time, light winds. Uh, come back here, have to go to work Monday, and of course, the very first day back at work, we got a new new snowstorm that came through. Yeah. So other than just, uh, you know, drinking Mai Tais and kicking back on the beach, uh, what all did you guys get a chance to do while you there? Well, uh, of course, I found two brew pubs. I also went to my mecca. I, I've been drinking a, a style of rum called Cruzon, which is made there in St. Croix for the last couple hundred years. And so I went and took the distillery tour there, which I thought was really interesting. And it's pretty short. And, of course, at the end of it, they had the obligatory tasting room, which was nice. Uh, interesting thing, though, after they ate all these rums and, and oak barrels and so forth, uh, they basically tanker that stuff up, ship it off to Kentucky, let it get repackaged uh, and bottled there, and then they start shipping it back around the rest of the places. Uh, they said about 85% of it goes to the United States and 15% returns back there to the islands. Hmm. Well, I suppose Kentucky does know a thing or two about bottling alcohol. Uh, I imagine they do. They have facilities for that for sure, yeah. And that's where they'll get their barrels from, too, because they can use them again for a few more times uh, to get some, get some life out of them. So it's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, it's probably too late to tell you this now, Gary, but I was going to warn you that when you go on the tour, um, that's not the guest book that they're signing. That's actually the nationalization ceremony. So they're going to claim you as a citizen of St. Carino. Well, that would be okay if I get to hang out. <laughs> it was a pleasant trip. It was nice. The only thing I really hate, though, is the actual airline flight itself. You know, God, if there were a way that I had the time and energy to fly my little airplane down there, I'd rather do that any day than sit in these tin can airlines. It's just a miserable experience. 
Do you mean even with those big Tundra tires that I stared at all the way to Oshkosh? Yeah, I'd fly down there. Well, yeah, and uh, the airlines certainly are going to be fast, but you're right. You know, being shoehorned into a middle seat for, you know, however many hours, that's uh, that's not my idea of fun either. No, no, I don't have enough drugs to go cope with that kind of stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad it went well. Glad to have you back. And that other voice, of course, is John Gellis, and John is currently putting the finishing touches on his legacy YX conversion, and the new B-Model Super B is getting pretty close, eh, John? Oh, it's it's just tasting close, but I keep getting distracted. Yeah. And, uh, and John, uh, why might that be? Well, I've been helping a uh, an estate deal with a... Uh, uh, one of our, our glider club members who wasn't very active, but kept paying his storage fees passed away about six months ago. And I volunteered to help his estate, basically his 92 year old father, um, deal with the glider that was stored at our club for almost uh, 20 years. And in that process, I ended up buying the glider from him. Um, and, um, have been, um, actively getting it back to being airworthy and flying. So give us an idea, like, like, is this a project that needs a lot of restoration or is it just kind of clean it up and check it out and get it back in the air? It was actually the, the latter. It was clean it up. It had dust on it. It was like opening up a sarcophagus. Um, the plane was in the impeccable shape, um, had dust on it. We had it, uh, it's a certified aircraft. So I had an MAI, uh, do an annual inspection on it. The only thing he found was the rotted out tail wheel, um, because it was exposed to the air. The main wheel, the previous owner had replaced, um, recently or before he stored it. Still held air, and um, so I bought a new tailwheel, um, have a new annual inspection, put a new battery in it, and all the avionics from 1977 came alive and uh, was uh, flyable. Wow, I think uh, that's probably about the best outcome you could have hoped for right there. Yeah, and uh, the the finish, it's, um, you know, with gliders, they tend to be, uh, they're all composite. And this one's carbon fiber. Um, they're gel-coated. And the gel coat, after a couple of decades, tends to crack and turn into like a dry lake bed. This one is not. It's painted on top of the carbon fiber. And it, uh, the, the finish is, is almost as if, uh, you know, it's, it's museum quality. So very happy with that. Hmm. Yeah. And, and tell me again what the model is. It's a... Um, it's a Finnish uh, glider called a PIC-20. Um, they were built from about the early 70s through the mid-80s. This one's a 1977 model. Um, it was basically right at the cusp of when they got the, the glass gliders to be very, very efficient. And so this is a 40-to-1 uh, long distance competition, 15 meter glider. 
So it has water ballast. It has uh, the legs to do, you know, 600 to 800 kilometer flights during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, what's the uh, what, what's the weight of it and the wingspan again? The wing, the, well, the wingspan is 15 meters, so it's just under 50 feet. Okay. The uh, the weight is right at 500 pounds. Okay. Uh, that's that's without water ballast, so yeah. it's it, it'll handle 330 pounds of water ballast. Yeah. Okay. That's still a fairly lightweight glider. Oh, it's 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 very lightweight. It's very responsive. Um, I got the pleasure of flying it last weekend, um, and uh, it it is a delight to fly. It's just like flying a, a Ferrari. Well, that sounds cool. Um, we'll have to uh, we'll have to, to give it some personal love and attention next time I'm out there. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, cool. So, aside from you know getting distracted and playing with the new toy, uh, what's the uh, what's on the agenda for the Super B? Well, my wife actually, my wife keeps bitching at me to get the Super B finished. The uh, basically, I'm at the point. The engine's been. Uh, I, I restarted the engine. I just need to basically do a really thorough annual on the Super B, do a weight and balance, and um, you know, a full checkout, and then go fly it. So it's really, really close. Mm, yeah. But you know, my the 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 sparkle in my eye is towards that glider. Now we're at the end of the gliding season, so you know that's the good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gary, you might have to intervene and help out. Uh, show up with a bottle of your cruise on and tell them you can eat, you can have some of this after you get finished with the Super Bay. Give him some kind of motivation. It's yeah. a carrot and stick approach. Yeah, I'd rather use a stick on it. Can <laughs> I use a stick first, please? Uh, yeah, it's the way Gary is. And I, I appreciate it. See, if I beat him first, Jeff, then I can give him the antidote, the uh, the medicine, <laughs> right? Yeah, the anesthesia. Uh, you know, it's a it's a circular thing. You know, it all comes around. So yeah. wherever you want to start is fine. As much grief as he gives me all the time. <laughs> now, the one thing I do have, uh, Owen, um, one of our listeners, and a new Sonics pilot out of Pueblo. He's coming up Saturday. He wants to talk uh, autopilots with me. So that might motivate me. I'll be working in the hangar. I'm not going to fly the glider until Sunday. And so um, maybe he'll uh, he'll motivate me to get my plane flying again. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, very exciting. All right, guys. Well, why don't we jump right into this uh we do not have a guest for this episode, so it's just going to be the three of us talking about cowling. So what I thought we would do is, really, we, we got two things we got to cover tonight. We, we got to talk about the, some of the specific tips and, and um, tips and tricks for doing the cowling. And, you know, how to trim it and how to fit it, how to do all those little things that get you a good cowling. But we also need to talk about sort of just fiberglass in general in, in terms of what you're going to use technique-wise to do all your fiberglass work. So let's start with specifically on the Sonics. Um, the first thing we got to talk about is that there is no one Sonics cowling. So if you look back in uh in the early days of sonics the cowlings were made uh, on a certain set of molds 
and um, and then over time those molds changed, and so you have the original cowlings. You have later you have what was known as the universal cowl, which was a wider cowling, so it can fit the wider Aerovi engine or the narrower Jabru engines. Then you had some tweaks to the universal cowl for when Jabru changed the front oil sump, so they had a little bit of a blister on there to, to clear the the new sump, and then. Eventually, you went from the vertical split cowl to the horizontal split cowl, and there was a little bit of change there. And then now you have the B-model cowl. So any one of these little things, it, it kind of has the, the standard preface disclaimer, which is your cowling on your particular project, depending on what vintage it is, the exact thing that you know somebody is talking about may or may not be applicable to you. So just kind of keep that in mind. Um, none of these things are all that different. But um, you are going to see some minor variations, you know. Okay. Um, John, why don't we start, instead of, instead of starting with the legacy and kind of working backwards, let's, uh, let's change it up. Let's start with the B-model cowling and kind of the state you receive it in. And then we'll kind of work back into some of the some of the fitting and all that. And then we'll kind of end up our discussion with legacy cowls that require the most level of fitting. So let's let's start with that. So when you open up the box and you pull out your B model cowling, what are you going to find as a new builder? Um, okay, so I've I've actually gone through three cowlings. I had the um, the original A model vertical split. That came from the factory. I had a uh, the speed cowl that I engineered myself based upon the Win William Wynn um, uh, nose bowl for the uh, Corvair cowling. And then I got the B model, which is the horizontal split. Um, so going, going to the horizontal split of the B model, it is a very well molded, almost uh, deceivingly perfect uh, cowl for the Sonics. It's like you could just hook or uh, drill the um, the uh, hinge plates on the the aft edge of it and just go with it. You don't no trimming whatsoever. Okay, and, and um, so so as opposed to the A model where everything is oversized, you're saying that you don't have to trim the sides and the back and all that. No, I'm saying it's deceiving that uh, you don't need to. Okay. Um, it is so clean and it's so straight that you go, oh, I just have to drill these things out and, and put them in. Um, I think actually that's a disservice. I think it actually, I think Sonics ought to send them a little rougher. To, to indicate that, hey, you do need to trim this perfectly to your flange of your engine. And uh, don't just assume that our cut is perfect. And I'll tell you why, because I did that. <laughs> okay. Now, um, one of the things that uh, I did that for was I wanted to push the cowl out as far forward as possible because I have a earlier jab engine where the um, the exhaust manifold interferes with the cowl. 
And so I wanted to minimize how much I had to cut out and make a bubble or a, a blister for that um, the 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 flange on cylinder. I think I believe it's one. So it's the furthest forward cylinder. Yeah, it's real close to all the cowlings. It has to make that tight bend, yeah. And and I, I went ahead and just said, okay, I'm just going to go with max forward. And then I'll cut back the, the prop flange to meet my prop. So I, I took that approach. That is not the approach that the Sonics manual uh, recommends. And if you have an Aero-V or some other engine, I would, or even a newer Jabiru that may not have that same um, exhaust, uh, I would follow their directions, which is to put a plate on your prop flange, mount the uh, cowl to that flange, that, that plate that you built, and then build it back and cut back on that aft edge. Yeah, yeah. That the I hope I no, I the, hope I'm making it clear. You know, it, it's difficult to. It's a 3D kind of thing, right? And you you've got to trim somewhere. You're either going to trim the flange or you're going to trim the back edge. Yeah. Okay. So how how much did you end up trimming off of the back? Because on a standard A model cowl, you might trim two inches off of the back of the fiberglass. How much did you trim? Zero. I I decided to go. I wanted the the uh, the cowl to be as far forward as oh, possible. Okay. Yeah. I I see. So and then you trimmed off of the front. Then how much did you trim off the front? I trimmed about a half inch. Okay. Well, that's a whole lot less than the two inches of a legacy cowl. Yes. It, yeah. And and what I want to try to impose is the new B model. They've gotten a lot tighter. Yeah. The the half inch is a lot tighter. Okay, so you still have to you still have to cut out the area around where your prop hub pokes through. Um, you, you do a little bit of trimming up there. Is that is that right? Yes. Okay, so you got to do um, that. Do you have to cut the inlets out? You still have to cut the inlets out. They're still blanked. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you yeah they're they're molded so that they're they're all closed up. You you. You cut the back end of it off, and you get a nice, clean um, opening for the inlet. Okay. And we talked about the back edge. You'll need to trim perhaps a half inch off. And then what about the joint between the upper and lower sections? Upper and lower is really nicely tight. I didn't do any trimming on that. Okay. Do they come and and joggle together, or do they just bump up against? Absolutely. They joggle together. Okay. So there's a, a joggle on the bottom that the top slides into. So I, I think they've done a tremendous amount of uh, improvement in the B model versus the A. Okay, well, good. I guess that, that kind of gives us some perspective on where we are, you know, 2019 and, and B model terms. Um, of course, you know, we already kind of hit on some of the differences with the A model. Um, but to kind of fully go through this, the, the A model cows, and again, depending on which vintage of a model cow um they required quite a bit of massaging the the the, um the molds were quite oversized so you're going to get you're going to get on the top and bottom seam you're going to have to make a cut line there 
on the center line of the airplane and cut away all the excess, uh, both top and bottom. You're going to have to cut on the backside where it mates up against the firewall. You're going to have to do that. And then you're going to have to do all those similar things like cutting out the inlets and um, the, uh, the area around the prop hub and all that. So a lot more just fitting. And of course, if it's just one edge you cut, that's easy. You can make that up. But on a legacy vertical split, you have to do a straight cut on the left half, and then you have to mate that up with a straight cut on the right half. All right, well, I guess maybe that puts in perspective the, the range of fitting operations, I guess, that, that a builder is going to see depending on what vintage of cowl that they're working with. Um, Gary, why don't you why don't you talk us through some of the the tools and um, and the techniques we're going to use just to do some of the cutting and the sanding and the fitting? Why don't you start us off with that? Let's talk about cutting. What what are your favorite tools for cutting fiberglass? Well, I, I can talk about that. I'd like to back up just a little bit though, because you have to kind of start where you're going to start with a prop. With actually, where you're going to start, how you're going to have to start. Ah, I'll get it out eventually. How you're going to actually start lining up the cowling. Um, and that's going to make a difference in what you do with some of your cuts. I think when I spoke to John first, he says he wanted to really get that cowling really tied up against the back of his prop spinner. Um, if I remember correctly, John, you came back and said, yep, that wasn't working out so good. And it actually made it more problematic to get the cowlings on and off. Uh, so initially, I would kind of suggest to you guys, uh, give yourself a healthy distance between the front bowl of the cowling and the back of the propeller flange. And I'm talking at least three sixteenths or even better, even yet as a quarter inch uh, gap between the two. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to make getting your cowling on and off and servicing things just a whole lot easier to do. And cosmetically, it's going to look just fine. Uh, there's no real aerodynamic penalty to it that I'm aware of. And so just make your life easier. Um, one of the first and simple things that I did is I cut out a big circular piece of plywood uh, about a quarter inch thick and attached it to the back of the propeller flange. Uh, you can do that with a lot of things. I actually just use some silicone, um, you know, squitter some silicone on there, you know, uh, pop those things on and it, it really, you know, let it set for the night and heal really well. Uh, a caveat here, don't use a lot of that silicone stuff because I can tell you it was a pain to get off my last prop spinner doing that. Uh, but so that will set your spacing for your cowling for your nose bowl. Um, as to which way you need to cut and trim this thing, uh, my cowling that I got on my A model actually was a little, a little short. Um, when I tried to put the nose bowl up against the, the spacer for the propeller flange, I did not have enough material on the trailing edge to mount it to my frame. Uh, so I actually had to slide my cowling back to get enough to, to bite onto the frame. And I actually had to build up the front edge uh, around the propeller to get mine to fit correctly. So you're right, Jeff. This thing's can vary quite a bit depending on, on what kind of molding you're starting with and what your vintage might or may or may not be. Mm -hmm. So do a propeller uh, spacing. Um, you know, if, if we go from there, we still have to figure out how we're going to line it up, right? Um, you've got to line these things up, uh, you know, um, along the longitude of the, of the airframe and the engine axis, uh, both uh, from forward to aft and also from side to side, right? And that can be kind of tough to do. And I did find that on my latest one, when I used a self-leveling laser line, that was a great benefit. 
trying to get these cowlings kind of at least starting to position in the in the right in the right orientation so you know where you need to start making your trim and cut lines. We follow me so far? Right. Yeah. Okay. So now when you finally get down to what you want to cut these things with and how you're going to mark them, um, I usually, usually many times, especially on the trailing edges, uh, you can use tape uh, to kind of give yourself a guide. Here's another little trick, too, that you might try, um, especially along the aft edges of where the cowling mates up to the fuselage. If you'll take something like a two-inch wide piece of tape and and put that tape on the metal of the fuselage as you wrap it around so you know where 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 you'll be able to tell how far back the cowling is actually going to go. And then when you put the cowling on there, you'll see a varying amount of, of space uh, between the trailing edge of the cowling and that trailing edge of the tape. You can then take a second piece of tape and put it on top of the cowling and the original tape, and now you'll know where um, the, the forward edge is of the metal that's underneath the cowling, if we can kind of follow along here. Because that's yeah, the problem, right? When you put the cowling on top of the metal, you said, well, where did the forward edge of the metal go? Right. You use the tape as a reference line, and then uh, you can you could use a Sharpie and just measure back two inches from the edge and draw a line there. But the tape makes it super easy because you just match one, the new piece of tape over the cowling matched up on the on the old piece of tape, and yeah, you got and your you cut get- line perfect. Yeah, you get a you get a real good idea where it's at, and then you can decide where to make your cut line uh, as to how much of an overlap that you want mm-hmm. on the metal, or or if you're trying to do a butt uh, butt join. Right. Okay. So those three steps: get your prop spacer on there, get your levels out, and then some guide to find out where your uh, where your your metal starts and where it ends, and where you want to actually have the line set. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us will cut these things to lots of different things. You know, what I eventually found that I really liked the best um, was using a um, either a Dremel with one of the metal uh, diamond cut wheels to it rather than those very, very thin, uh, like aluminum oxide uh, discs that you can put on there. Because those things will tend to snap real quickly, easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, did, they wear down fast. And they were just difficult to really control. And I found that aluminum, that uh, diamond uh, dusted metal wheel uh, made it, of course, it lasts forever. And it was a little bit easier to control as well. And you can right. change the speeds on it a little bit. Yeah, like a permagrit wheel, an inch and a half wheel or something like Correct. that. The uh, same type of yeah. wheel you could use um, doing it on your canopy. Uh, they yeah, work like great on fiberglass as well. And in some instances, too, I still like the vibrating saws, like we talked about the cast saw that we talked about in the, in the yeah. canopy episode as well. So either of those two work pretty well, I think, to make some of your initial cuts. And, of course, it's like everything else. You start with a little bit. You put it back on there again. You start lining everything up again. And this is where you're going to actually need to, to have some some real definitive uh uh, alignment points. So you, you don't be too afraid to drill through this canopy and into your frame someplace uh, for your uh, silver clecos so that every time you go back to fit it, uh, you're, you're using the same reference points very consistently. I, I found that if I try to tape these things in and hold them with, you know, with clamps or whatever else you think you could, you could jury rig, uh, they'd always start to move and, and rotate around a little bit. So 
Yeah, just start drilling holes, and you have to go back and fill in some of those a little bit later on. Yeah, but the nice thing is um, it's super easy to plug a hole drilled in fiberglass. So unlike, uh, you know, if you're drilling it through an aluminum skin, that hole's going to be with you until you put a rivet in it. With fiberglass, you'll fill that hole, and it'll be no problem. No one will ever even know it. Well, you'll have to put some in the middle, too, in order to hold it in place. But if you get it pretty close to where you think you're going to want your, your fastener to go through anyway, right. at least you've got a starting reference point. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Gary, I, I really like those little micro-oscillating tools because you can use like one of the little half-moon-shaped blades for doing a long straight cut. Those little micro-tools, they, they work great for that. It's easy to make a nice straight line, and it gives you a pretty clean finish. Um, now, what they don't work well is in a tight corner. If you have to cut the, the, the radius they around the gear leg or something tight like that, that big blade isn't going to make that that interior cut very well. So you got to use a, no. a Dremel or something like that. Well, they do make different size blades, though, and I found some that are about a, a quarter to half inch, uh, more of just just like a, a little straight quarter inch chisel, and you could do some pretty tight turns in those. You're right. The half moons you can't. Yeah. Uh, but those real small uh, blades you can do that with. Yeah. Yeah. And what I tend to do is I I just um. I plug in my micro oscillating saw and then I have my Dremel and I just grab, you know, whichever one I need for the task at hand. You know, if I want a long cut, I grab the micro oscillator. And if I want a tight cut or, you know, detail work, I'll grab the Dremel. Sure. Either, either one will work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, John, I know you're a big fan of that micro oscillating tool too. What, uh, what other cutting tools did you use? No, that's, that's my go-to is that micro oscillating with the uh, half moon blade um, it gives you a nice straight cut. It's really easy to control. When I get to those tight points, yeah, you pull out the Dremel with a um, a drum sander uh, tip on it to to take out that you know that rounded edge. But the uh, the straight oscillating tool is perfect for uh, cutting along. I also, it, Gary had said that you use uh, tape. If you need to have a roll of that two-inch or whatever uh, blue painter's tape is perfect for lining up a perfect edge, and then you can just cut right along that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another tool that I used an awful lot, too, in my cowlines, when you talk about radiuses and curves, uh, go back to Harbor Freight again, and you can get these sanding drums that you can attach to a handheld drill, and they come in various diameters such as, you know, a, a, a one-inch diameter, one-and-a-half, two inches, two-and-a-half-inch diameter, and so that when you've got a spot that you really need to make a big contour into uh, and you want a really nice radius, those little drum sanders on a, on a drill <laughs> work really, really well, and they'll go through a lot of material quickly mm -hmm. if you need to. You can, really, you can really mold those things well. Yeah, and they're like five bucks a pack. Yeah, they're really cheap. The whole kit. Mm -hmm. So I love that tool as well. Yeah, and of course, you know, we're talking about sanding. Uh, John, you mentioned those little Dremel sanding drums. Um, it just, for people that don't have a lot of experience using Dremels, you can get kind of the old style Dremel where you have a little, you have your mandrel and then you mount your sanding drum or your cutoff wheel or whatever. And it has a little screw that goes in the end of the mandrel to attach it. But Dremel makes a whole line of these quick change accessories where they just sort of, you kind of pull them and they, and the drum pops open and you can stick a new, another drum on, or you can, you can attach 
a rotary cutoff disc with like a quarter turn, kind of a click turn type thing. If you look at the new Dremel accessories, that makes it so quick and easy to, you know, to change drums out and then do that. It's really a whole lot more fun working with these new Dremel accessories than the kind of the old school cheap ones. So um, go spend a few minutes and go, you know, check out the Home Depot Dremel aisle and, and uh, pick up some cool little toys there as well. Of course, you're going to need uh, plenty of sandpaper um, and a good sanding block because a lot of your straight edges, you're going to want to be able to smooth that edge out and get it nice and straight. So the one I like, um, I think I got it from, from Home Depot, but it has kind of a plastic base with these two clamps on either end. So you can take one of those four inch wide pre-cut strips of sandpaper and you just kind of with a with a a bar clamp uh, built right into the block itself, you attach each end of your sandpaper and kind of wrap it around the bottom of the block. Those work great. It's easy to change the paper out. And you can have uh, various grits for depending on how, whether you're doing rough fitting or you're doing kind of your final pass. And you're going to want to use a good aggressive 60 or 80 grit to start with, and that'll take the material down very quickly. And then you can transition to 100, 120, and and uh, and finer as you start finishing things out. And I would get one of the longer blocks too, not the short blocks that are only about six inches long. Get one that's about twelve to eighteen inches long when you start doing your final sanding to make sure you don't uh, get a lot of undulations in your cut lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a time for taking a piece of sandpaper in your hand and kind of just hand fitting and and the final little touch with that. But you got to be careful. You know, you only want to do that at the very end. If you use sandpaper in your hand, you're going to get a really uneven kind of scallop surface. You just can't get good even pressure using your fingers. You got to use a block as much as possible. And then just the finishing touch is done with your hand. Yeah, I would say that anytime you're grabbing sandpaper with your hand, it's deeper. Um, If you're trying to smooth an edge, you have to use a sanding block. And then there are times where you might want to use something um, perhaps a little more aggressive, like a small belt sander or one of those little um, Harbor Freight belt files that you know I talked about using on the canopy. There's some places like that, maybe a little palm sander if you have to smooth something out. But um, your bread and butter tools are going to be that that uh, that sanding block, your assortment of sanding paper, and your micro oscillator, really. And then the last, uh, I guess, category of tools is uh, if you have to do any sort of repair work, if you have to fix a problem or you have to extend some fiberglass that got cut away inadvertently or whatever, or you need to create a blister for clearance on your exhaust pipe, you're going to need some raw uh, fiberglassing materials. So you're going to need some cloth, you're going to need some resin, and then possibly some of these other fillers for different tasks, micro balloons and, and flocked cotton and things like that. So you can use a um, a simple, like, you can use Bondo resin that you can get it at Walmart or um, Home Depot, and that stuff works fine. That's a polyester-based resin. The cowlings that come from Sonics are also polyester, so there's no problem with compatibility there. Or if you want, you can go to an epoxy, and you can get, like, a half gallon or whatever of, of West system epoxy or some other, you know, good, high quality, like a marine-type epoxy, and that works just fine, too. Uh, just keep in mind, you know, the, the general rule is that, you know, your epoxy will stick to your polyester glues and cloths and resins and all that. 
um, but not always the other way around. So if you if you use epoxy on your cowling, um, you may not be able to come back and follow up with something like a Bondo resin to fix that epoxy. You're going to have to repair your epoxy, you know, with more epoxy. So just keep that in mind. As far as cloth, you can get it locally at, at, at the, uh, the auto parts store or someplace like that. Or you can just order up a couple of yards of six ounce bid from Aircraft Spruce and they'll send it on a roll and you'll have enough to do whatever you need for a long, long time. And uh, it's like, you know, maybe eight bucks a yard. So it's pretty cheap just to have some of that stuff on hand. Well, Jeff, let's talk a little bit about making a blister because I recently did that with my B model because I had to make a blister for my uh, exhaust pipe on number three. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I scratched my head. I've done a blister before and I wanted to say, okay, I want to do the best blister I could possibly ever do uh, for this B model. And what I came up with was I used, um, you know, those quart peanut jars you get from Costco, you know, with all the peanuts in it. So it's got a nice big opening on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I used that. I put a piece of cellophane or, a, you know, sh- uh, stretch wrap, whatever you call that stuff, and, and rubber banded it over the top. Then I drilled a hole and pulled a vacuum on it with um, a syringe to to make it nice and round at the bottom and laid in my uh, resin and then some fiberglass. And that made a really nice rounded blister that uh, then, you know, once it cured, I pulled it off and laminated it onto the... Uh, the hole on the on the cowl that I had to cut for the uh, clearance. Yeah, that that sounds like a good way of doing it. Um, I, if you can get away with mixing up, uh, you know, maybe say three or four plies of of wetted out cloth, and then use a real gradual, you know, let it droop under the weight of gravity, or or like you you did in that sort of dished um, cellophane mold. That's going to be better than trying to glob on some stuff on the outside of your cowling and then lay up your glass over it. That will work, but you're you're going to have to do a lot more finishing if you if you if you lay up you would do a wet layup over some sort of mold on your on your cowling. Much better to wet out your glass and then let it droop into a mold or just in, into you know into air. Uh, I tried the you... sag method like you had, and I didn't yeah. get a good result. I didn't get a nice smooth even yeah and doing the vacuum and it was actually not that hard to do Mm -hmm. um uh gave me a really good result yeah well good and then um if you have to wet out your cloth there's a lot of tutorials you know there's been kit planes articles written about it you can probably find something on youtube but it's actually really easy to do well you just mix up you know, a couple of ounces of resin, whatever you think is appropriate for the, the number of plies you're going to be doing. So say, um, say three ounces of resin and you have all your pre-cut pieces of fiberglass, anywhere from three to five or maybe eight plies you know, at the absolute most. But, you know, call it three to five plies for the blister that you're going to make. And you kind of pre-cut those pieces of glass 
And then what I like to do is just get um, a drop cloth from, from Home Depot, get the good heavyweight plastic drop cloths. There's a single use like disposable drop cloths, something like a 1.9 or, or, or heavier 1.9 mil thickness plastic drop cloth. And um, you're going to use that to, to, to wet out your cloth. So you just lay your cloth down on your plastic pour in a little bit of resin over it, take another piece of plastic and put it over the cloth and the resin, and then just take an old credit card or, you know, uh, a room key from a hotel or whatever and use that as a scraper squeegee, and you're on the top of the plastic moving the resin around to fully wet out the fiberglass cloth. And then when it's completely all wetted out, any excess glue is just kind of scraped off to the side and you peel back your top layer of plastic and carefully grab your wetted out cloth and take it right over to your mold or right over to your cowl or whatever you need to do. And it's perfectly wetted out. It has the right ratio and uh, it's super easy to work with. And that's a whole lot easier than trying to take a chip brush and take a dry piece of cloth and set it someplace and then try to dabble wet epoxy and get it to soak into your cloth. You'll have way more epoxy than you need if you try to do it like that. Okay, um, what else, John? Uh, what other what other tips about the blister? How about attaching the blister back to the the cowling? What did you do there? Okay, so um, you have a hole that you have cut to clearance, like the exhaust pipe, um, as you're fitting the cowl. So you're going to be fitting the cowl and making it fit the frame and the flange and all that. So. Any interference, you're going to be cutting out a uh, a clearance hole for things that don't, you know, that are going to extend beyond the cowl. Then you're gonna you're gonna grind off the gel coat um, around that hole so that you can laminate the blister onto that hole. Um, then yeah, John- you know. That, that's a good point. Um, the, the gel coat is that white kind of glossy finish on the outside, and it makes a great finish for painting, but it, it doesn't have any strength. And if you try to glue new cloth directly to gel coat, the gel coat will just crack and fall off. Well, the blister will, will end up separating is what will happen. Yeah. Because the gel coat doesn't have any structural. It, it is, you know, purely a filler. It's like a Bondo. Yeah. And so you'll, you'll grind off to the raw fiberglass around it um your blister is going to be all fiberglass and um you'll cut that to mate to that hole then you'll put resin in and glue it to that hole once that's done then you'll uh sand off the the uh, edge on the outside so that it's flush and then fill it with uh, resin and uh, like micro balloons or something or bondo whatever you want to use to uh, to make it a smooth interface or uh, transition between the blister and the cowl and then you'll paint over that again and you'll go from there okay and then for people that are not familiar with micro balloons this is a type of thing that you'll get from aircraft spruce or some other maybe a specialty store, but you can get it from Spruce easy enough. Uh, a one-pound bag of, of glass microballoons. Sometimes they're called microspheres or glass spheres or glass bubbles. It's all the same product. 
um, a one pound bag of that will cost like 10 bucks and it'll take, it'll take you years to use, you know, that much micro balloons. And it's just a lightweight filler. It's mostly air. And so you mix up some resin, whatever you're, whatever resin you're using, you mix up your resin and then you just ladle in some of these micro balloons in about maybe a three times as much volume of micro balloon to, to the, the, whatever measure volume of, of resin, mix it all up until it's a nice kind of smooth cake batter, you know, type of consistency. And, um, and then you can kind of use that as a filler material around those gaps. The nice thing about this mixture is that it's very lightweight and it's easy to sand. It's, it's, it's mostly resin and air. And so when it comes time to do your final sanding and shaping, it's not a rock hard chunk of solid epoxy that you physically just can't sand through. It sands away real nice and easy. Yeah. Well, one thing you have to notice is, or, or know is that it is not structural. So it will not hold a shear force. It'll break. So you, it's it's clearly just for putty to fill in gaps. Right. Yep. And and to tell you the truth, Bondo is basically polyester resin with talcum powder in it. It's not micro balloons, it's talc. And so you could use if you're using only fiberglass, you're not using epoxy, you could use Bondo. And just keep in mind that your filler is talcum powder. Yeah, and you know, there's a time and place for Bondo, I suppose. Um, it, it is easy to work with, and but if you start getting thicker sections of Bondo, it's going to crack and break out of there. And I just, I would much rather mix up a micro balloon um, mixture. That's you're right; it's not structural, but it's going to adhere better anyway. So that's my yeah. my go-to. Absolutely, is uh, yeah, micro balloons are going to be better than. Bondo, but Bondo's yeah. not bad for small gaps. Yeah. Or that, that tube of, um, what do they call it? That finishing stuff the you get from spot putty. The glazing. That is yeah. basically Bondo that's air instead of being a, uh, a catalyst with the, uh, you know, Bondo has to be catalyzed with a uh, hardener. This is air hardened. And so that glazing compound works great too for small little pinholes. Yeah, absolutely, because you don't want to be mixing up and waiting um, for something just like one or two little pinholes that you discover when you're priming. Yeah. The other one I mentioned is the flocked cotton fibers, and um, this is for making a structural filler. So they're actually little tiny milled, chopped up cotton fibers. You um, you just kind of, same type of thing, you mix up resin, you ladle in a, a measure of this cotton fiber mix, and you kind of stir it up into the consistency of like petroleum jelly or whatever. And you can do structural fillets and reinforcements. Just know that that stuff is heavier and it dries to a rock hard consistency. And um, it is very difficult to sand that. So you don't want to use it in an area where um, sanding it is going to be a big problem. Otherwise, you're going to end up sanding everything around it and you're going to have this hard nub of, of flock on there. Okay, um, that technique can also be used for um, if you make a mistake and you have to graft fiberglass back on. So if you can, you know, if you have a scrap piece that you cut off and you say, whoops, I, I shouldn't have cut that there. I need to put it back on. Well, you could glue it back on and then maybe put a ply or two um, on the inside to kind of join them. And that and that's certainly a possibility. 
But if you ended up trimming it just a little bit too short and you needed to extend that out a little bit, you can use a combination of resin and cotton flock to maybe build out, say, an eighth of an inch to, to move that edge back out to close your seam up. And um, so little things like that are easier than trying to graft on some some additional cloth and then having to trim that cloth back. All right, Gary, um, let me see. We talked about blisters. Was there anything else along that line before we move on to the next thing? No, I've been pretty lucky so far. I haven't had to require anything that required a blister formation. Uh, most of mine is either been adding on, you know, some, some building out more, like I talked about with my nose bowl. Um, so, no, I mean, when the last time I had to do a little bit, though, I actually used a... Uh, Actually, the guy that was helping me with, with some fiberglass, I had some cowling portions that were not flared correctly. They weren't holding the shape that they needed to. Um, and so what we actually ended up doing is making another half semicircle on the inside of that as a stiffener to get the outside cowling to hold its shape. He actually used a 50-50 mixture of the micro balloons and the flock when he was impregnating the... Uh, uh, the stuff and it made it a little bit stronger. Um, you know, it, it increased the volume of it, of course, rather than having to do all the micro balloons. And when that actually set up, it was, it was pretty tough stuff, I have to say, uh, but that made a pretty good reinforcement or, or a, more of a structural kind of a reinforcement on the inside of a cowling. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, something else just came to mind. We talk on our engine cooling show about reshaping the upper portion of your inlet so that the air doesn't flow over that sharp edge on the top of the inlet and then kind of trip it into a very turbulent, dirty airflow and you lose efficiency there. We we talk about rounding that upper edge out. Well, this is how you would do it. You could use Bondo or you would really use a little bit of cotton flock and some micro and some resin and kind of build out that rounded profile to smoothly transition into the upper part of your cowling. Yeah, I know a lot of the RP guys are real big into that portion. Yeah, and that's a simple thing to do. And, um, you know, we've, we've tested this on different people's airplanes. Uh, that's an easy way to get, you know, 20 degree lower CHTs is just by treating those inlets on the upper surface, just smoothing that airflow out. You're going to use the air that you're ingesting more efficiently, and that's going to show up as better cooling. So if you don't need a cooler running engine, then maybe you don't need to worry about it. But many AeroVs, when they're, when they're brand new, especially AeroVs when they're brand new, uh, they're going to run a little hot anyway. And so why not give yourself the best margin possible and just do that right from the front rather than ignoring it and then finding that you're a little uncomfortable with the hotter temperatures while your engine is new. Just go ahead and do it right from the beginning and it'll be, um, it'll be simple and you'll be set up you know, permanently. Yeah, I remember my airview being a little uncomfortably hot, too, during the break-in for that first 50, 75 hours. Okay, um, yeah, we talked about the, the inlet. Um, let's talk about fasteners. So the standard Sonics fasteners are the Southco quarter-turn fasteners. And everybody has a favorite fastener method. I think a lot of people kind of have a love-hate relationship with Southco's. Um I, I personally, I use them on mine, and I, I like the Southcos, but they are a little bit fidgety because they're a kind of an unsophisticated fastener. You get a stud that's a fixed length, and it's either the right length or it's not, 
And if it's not, you have to experiment and find one that's longer or shorter until you do find one that's the right length. As opposed to, you know, something else that, um, you know, like a sky bolt or something like that, where you can adjust the depth of the fastener for the thickness that you're going through. But there's a couple of easy things that um, that you can do to um, to make fitting Southcos simpler. And probably the, the number one thing is when you first start off fitting your Southcos, make sure you just have a nice little assortment of every size. You know, the, the shortest that you might need up through the longest that you think you might need. And I would recommend starting off at like, a, you know, a 140 being a really short stud and going up to like a 300 for like a long stud. You know, get one of each of those sizes and then you can go kind of, you know, fastener hole by, by fastener and test out and find the perfect size. Write it down in your notebook and go all the way around your perimeter until you have, you know, each of these fit. And then you know exactly what sizes you need. Then put a second order in and get, you know, the, the proper number of each size. If you do it like that, you'll be able to very quickly hit on the right sizes and you won't have too much problem. If you... Um, if you try to force it with studs that don't really fit properly, you're going to have problems with them backing off in flight and coming out and getting lost and things like that. Uh, just a note about the studs. Um, you can get South Coast studs from Aircraft Spruce and a few of the sizes from Wix, but you can go directly to Southco. They have an online ordering and you can get them directly from them. So all of those unusual studs, um, if you need wing nuts, to hold down the wingnut style studs to hold down your fuel door, whatever. You can get everything in their catalog, get it directly from Southco, save yourself a lot of time. And then additionally, you know, there's there's a, a dizzying variety of studs that are available. But in general, you're going to want all your studs on your cowl to be the same variety. So like a stainless steel Phillips head, non-flush, but kind of an oval well, that has a specific part number, and so you're going to want all of your stud links in that same part number. And if you end up shopping at the fly market or buying out of whatever Wix has, you're going to have a mix of different styles. You know, some slotted, some Phillips, because they don't carry everything in the catalog. So again, do an initial order, one of each of the stud links that you need, figure out your shopping list, put a second order in, and then you're good to go. Okay, so there's my, uh, I guess there's my, my primer on, on Southco's. And I guess the last thing I'll just throw out there is um, make sure you order those little split ring retainers so your studs don't fall off and get lost. And then get the little wear cups. They're called a uh, cupped washer. It's like a little plastic cup that the stub fits down into. And it, it keeps the stud from digging into the paint on the cowling and, and tearing that up. And um, the, uh, the split retainer and the cupped washers will each add a little bit of length to it. But again, if you just account for that when you're doing your tests, it'll be fine. So Okay, Jeff, are you done with your little, uh, you know, uh, dissertation on South Coast? I am, and my sales pitch. So, um, okay. you know, I, I get a 10% commission on every South Coast that I sell. So Okay, now reality is going to set in. South Coast are great if they fit and you get them aligned and you have bought $1,000 of the South Coast. Oh, um, 2000 both, at the absolute max. So yeah. Fine. Gary and I have both agreed that South Coast are, are, are great in theory, but in reality, just having a screw with a, uh, you know, the, uh, in a, uh, yeah, anchor nut is infinitely more useful. 
And and if you really are worried about turning those to, you know, when you're in the field and you have to open up your cow, you can get a little tiny electric uh, screwdriver to pull those things out and you'll spend just as much time. So, um, yes, I have gone down the South Coast path. I have a box of South Coast that I use intermittently, you know, for like my fuel door and stuff. But for attaching the top to the bottom of the cowl or from the cowl sides together, I've gone to screws. Okay. Well, there you have it. Um, so if you, uh, if you can't make South Coast work because you lack the intestinal fortitude, you can always, uh, you know, fall back on screws and nut plates. You can get real lucky and have really <laughs> nice South Co uh, installations. But you're going to lose that stupid little split ring, and you're going to drop that South Co off, and you're going to have to go find another South Co, along yeah, with the little true. stupid spring and the little washer and the split ring, because all that goes away when yeah. the South Co falls out. Right, right. Yeah, well, like I said, it's a love-hate relationship. Have you guys the other option, oh, go like ahead, Gary. Way of using the uh, piano hinge techniques. What do you mean? Um, well, you can use a, a, a set of piano hinges uh, to mate a lot of these these surfaces together, uh, from your lower cowling to the fuselage, as uh, well yes. as the top cowling to the sides of the side cowlings. Yeah, it's a little hard yeah. to do. It gets finicky sometimes. It's a little hard to get it to fit and and be able to slide those uh, rods back in place. Um, I, I did that well on two, basically in, on the first uh, model A that I had, uh, basically used the piano hinges. Uh, I tried it on my second one. Didn't like it quite as much. The contour of the cowling just made it much difficult, uh, to get the rod back in. And basically you'll undersize those anyway. Uh, again, they're not really structural. They're just, they're just there to keep things kind of in place. You don't need it as a solid hinge. And, but then this last time I did put just, as John said, just screws and anchor nuts. Uh, it is a little problematic. It, it takes a, uh, it does take a few extra minutes uh, to get the cowling on and off, but it's, it certainly is very, very stable and very, very secure because it just clamps down like a screw onto a nut. Yeah. And then it, um, I guess the, the final option, you can buy Skybolt adjustable cam locks if you really want to get crazy. And there's a couple of places that sell um, cam lock kits where you can get a couple of dozen of them. And uh, so that's just another option that sometimes you'll hear people talk about Skybolts rather than South Coast. I understand that. Yeah, the RV guys are are big on the Skybolts. And they're nice. They're very nice. Very pricey. Very pricey. Yeah, you'll spend 10 bucks on screws and nut plates or you'll spend 100 bucks on South on uh, Skybolts. I'm thinking more like 300 or more. I could be wrong, though. Yeah, but, you know, the RV guys have a lot of money. They do. And they look good. I mean, come on. They do. It looks good when they fly by with those sky bolts. Yeah, nice-looking fasteners, there's no doubt. Yeah, I I appreciate them every time. Yeah. Okay, um, let's talk about access doors. So, on the A-model cowl, the feather neck of the fuel tank is part of the cowling, not, you know, inside the the windscreen like on the B model. So on an A model, you're going to have a fuel door that you're going to have to cut and fit something into your cowling. And then you're probably going to have an oil access door in your cowling. So 
there are a, a, a number of different options. And this is some place where you can be as creative as you want to be. You can do like the simplest method, which is just to have like a flat cover that just, you know, you have a couple of, um, you know, wing nut South Coes or, or, you know, screws or something like that. And just literally just holds it to the outside of the cowling half. Um, or you can get really, you know, elaborate with a hidden hinge down underneath and a push button release and all that. So this is an area where probably you just want to uh, walk the line at Oshkosh sometime and look at how everybody else is doing it and then steal the best ideas that you see for incorporating into your project. I really do like those Hartwell latches. I actually bought a couple of them, had them in my stash for years until my latest project where I actually got to put them in. I says, ah, I do need one of those, and I have one, so I really <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they look, they, they, they actually work really nice. I don't know if they're worth the, what, 60, 70 bucks you got to pay for them? No, I bought them. I bought them at the flea market, say, the arrow market at Oshkosh. I, I think I probably paid 15 bucks or something like for, for one of them. Right. Yeah, if you can uh, get them from a surplus place, yeah, do that because new, they are expensive. Yeah, they are. So, yeah, I get those. And, you know, I need, if I can remember, I think you want to get the Dash 2 model. Um, I, I think is a little bit stronger in, in clamping force, if I remember. I, I don't quote me on this, but I, I just vaguely remember. You can get something like a Dash 2 or a Dash 3 or something like that. And I believe it was a Dash 2, but I'd have to go back and research it. Yeah, in general, Gary, you know, you have um, you have kind of your light-duty Hartwell latches for, for really light doors and things like that. And then you have, um, you know, heavier-duty ones. And then you have low offset for a real thin catch plate. And then you have higher offset Hartwell latches for a thicker structural kind of catch plate. So... If you're just ordering it, you know, by a part number, you have no idea what you're going to get. You almost have to just roll the dice and see. But if you're digging through a box of them at a flea market, you can find exactly the one that you like. Another good reason to buy them in person at Oshkosh in the flea market. Yeah, that's a good place for them. Yeah, but in reality, when you're flying behind it, doesn't matter as long as it holds it down. Um, simplicity is is my goal now with my new B model. I have the basic, the uh, joggled door that you just kind of stick underneath it, and you have the uh, South Co wing nut um, holding the other end down. Yeah, and I think that's fine. I think probably for me, the number one thing is you want to make it convenient. You're going to be using your, your fuel door all the time, and so you don't want to be fumbling with something. Whatever it makes it convenient, you're going to enjoy that in the long term. So if that's a Hartwell latch or that's a wing nut, but just make sure that it's not going to be a pain in the butt that you're going to just be frustrated with every time you gas up. Okay, um, now oil doors. Oil doors are a little different. Uh, depending on the cowling that you got, it may have a molded in recess in the appropriate location for an oil door. Like if you got a Jabiru cowling, there's going to be a round recessed circular spot for your your fill port on your Jabiru engine. Uh, if you have an Aero-V, that's not necessarily going to be there. It's going to be in a different location for where the fill port is on an Aero-V. Or if you had, you know, some other type of thing, uh, you may have to close up the, uh, the, the pre-molded one in and cut one in in a different spot. So again, same type of thing. Just think about... Um, designing it to be easy to access and to easy to do the maintenance that you're going to need. One of the nice things about the Aero-V, though, 
is the dipstick can be reached by, by reaching into the pilot side air inlet. It's right there in the front of the engine, so you don't necessarily need an oil door to check the oil, only to add oil. So you can just kind of reach your fingers in there and grab that dipstick and, and check it as you're doing your pre-flight. And I might encourage you to make those access doors a pretty good size. And again, not try to keep them so trimmed down for for whatever cosmetic reason you think. You, you're you're going to really want to be able to get in there and access stuff, either for, for any kind of calf or oil or gas or whatever you think you're going to need it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Jeff, the um, at least on the B model, there is no uh, pre-designated area for the um, the oil door. It's you gotta you gotta figure out where it is. You cut through the the upper uh, cowl to that point, and then put your oil door in. And this is a good place for a uh, floating magnetic hinge and a key button fob linear actuator, right, John? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that actually when it should be proximity uh, alert. So when you hop out, it alerts that you have exited the aircraft and you need to check your oil. And it just pops open automatically. Yeah. yeah you know, no, Gary, um, you have that on your uh, your Zenith and it, it's really quite handy. Yeah, it yeah, saved I us, I think, on the way back from Oshkosh. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's just another area where you know you can show a little bit of individualism and <laughs> and uh, be creative and uh, have something to brag about at the fly-in. Okay, um, just a quick word about um, your exhaust outlets. Again, going back to vintage, you know, the earliest model Sonics cowlings had pre-molded in tunnels, either for a Jabiru pre-molded tunnel or even some of the earlier cowls had kind of a universal molded in tunnel. Then they stopped doing that. When they went to the universal cowl, they stopped putting in pre-molded tunnels, and you either cut them in for a Jabiru with your folded up metal exhaust tunnels based on the Jabiru firewall floored instructions, or you cut in the exits at the rear of the cowling for your AeroV two-into-one exhaust. And then now, the B-model cowl, they have those nifty molded side exhausts that you cut into the side of your cowl. So, John, tell us just a little bit about those side exhausts. Well, the side exhausts are they're they're kind of sexy. I don't know if they're any better, worse, but they're sexier, obviously, because it's a B model, and that's what makes the B model so sexy. Um, the you still have to have uh, cuts in the bottom of the cowl for the exhaust, so you're still doing that, but you're basically making those minimalized to the size of the exhaust with uh, you know a, a vibration you know, a radius on it. Um, yeah, I mean, they're basically just molded in like the old bottom ones were. They're just on the sides. Mm-hmm. And are those fiberglass or are those like a heavy plastic? No, they're fiberglass. They uh, they give you fiberglass ones. You actually have to cut them into the cowl um, and clean them and, and epoxy them or, or uh, you know, use some sort of resin to uh to glue them on so they're not pre-molded but um they're well the the actual outlet is pre-molded um you just have to glue it on and cut a hole where you want yeah so you'll cut like a rectangular hole in the side of the cowling and then slap on your inlet yeah and they gave you some templates for that so it's not it's not hard it's just a little disconcerting to cut those side cowlings or uh, cuts in 
But I like the yeah. look of it. It looks nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, they look good. And, you know, there's the potential for some some benefit there because when you're in a nose-high attitude, you know, if you have a cooling air exit on the bottom of your cowling, well, in a nose-high attitude, you know, you're potentially going to build up some positive pressure right at your cooling outlet. And that's the time where you don't want positive pressure at your outlet. You want to extract that hot air from a nose-high climb. So on the side, you're never going to have to worry about that. You know, maybe a little bit of a slip, you might, you know, see something. So that's kind of the idea is either an updraft cooling that your cooling air comes out the top of the cowl or a side exhaust so that you're exhausting that air to the sides. And that way you don't necessarily have that that penalty where you have a, a nose high climb position. Well, you put a lot more engineering into it. I think it's just about more about uh, aesthetics. No, it's definitely not about the aesthetics. It's all about the performance. Okay. Aesthetics are just a nice plus. All right. <laughs> and uh, they're probably going to be faster too, right, John? Um, we haven't. I, I definitely know it's going to be faster, but uh, <laughs> I don't have any proof yet. Yeah, exactly. We, we will fabricate the proof. I get back here so I can, yeah. uh, you know, measure. Well, John, I know you. I'm sure you'll be able to fabricate your proof. <laughs> no, the, the proof will be there. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't claim it until we're actually in the air. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Uh, we talked a little bit about modifications that people have done. We talked to some of the fasteners and we talked about, um, blisters for things like your exhaust pipe. Um, you might have to do some clearancing around the oil sump on a Jabru. If you have an old cowling and a new Jabru with the large oil sump, you might have to create a blister in the front there so you don't bump into the, the front corners of the sump. If you had an oil cooler that was in an odd location, you might have to create a blister to clear some of the structure of the oil cooler. Um, if you had a, a sharp corner someplace and it was just kind of rubbing on the edge on a, on a bolt on the engine or something like that, you might decide to go in there and clearance that and put a little bit of a uh, a blister for just rubbing clearance, stuff like that. Th those are really easy to do because most of your blisters are only going to be a few inches in diameter. Jeff, you know, something else, sometimes when you mount cowlings too, I had this experience at least recently too, you'll, you'll still get part of the engine that just almost touches the cowling and you think it's clearing and, you know, you don't need to big, build a big bubble on it, but you know, after you after you fly it and run it for a couple hours, go back and look at all your cowling on the inside. You'll easily start to find areas that might have rubbing going on, and you want to address those things pretty quickly. It may be as simple as what I've been able to do sometimes is just to stick a piece of Teflon anti-chafing tape on the inside of the cowling uh, to cut down a little bit of that friction that might occur from vibration as the engine is running or during crank up or whatever it happens to be. And that can save you from having little spots being eaten through your cowling. Yeah, that's a good point. And those type of little problems, if you do nothing, they're not going to go away on their own. They're just going to get worse and worse. No, so you've got to address them yeah. somehow. No, actually, they go away on their own by eating away the cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when they uh, wear a hole straight through it. And you do need you do need anti-chafe tape between your cowling and anything that overlaps the metal on the fuselage. Uh, again, yeah. fiberglass, if, if people have not worked with this stuff after it sets up and it starts vibrating, it turns into sandpaper and it will just mm -hmm. start eating through everything. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the, the upper part of your cowl is going to rest on that uh, upper firewall strap right in front of the, the windscreen. And yeah, that's a great place to put a, a line of thin Teflon anti-chafe tape. It's not inexpensive, but it's just pretty tough stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you can get stuff from Aircraft Spruce, or if you look around on uh, on Amazon, you can get different thicknesses and different widths. So yeah, you're going to want to spend uh, you know 20 or 25 bucks at, at a minimum and get a roll of that. And, uh, and take care of those little trouble spots. Okay, other modifications. Um, probably the, the biggest one is people that got vertical split cowls that decided to modify them to a horizontal split. And this is kind of a big job because you have to, you have to first glue the halves together, and then you have to go back and then cut them in that horizontal trim line and then create some sort of joggle overlap or, you know, catch plate or something like that. It's not necessarily difficult, but there, there is a bit of an involved process to, to make that conversion. And I think I've seen, um, oh, at least a couple people that rather than glue the entire cowling together left, right, they, uh, they only glue the top portion together. So you actually have a three-piece scowl. So the bottom is in two. It's in a left and right bottom section. And then the top is in a single top hood that can be removed as a single unit. And whether that's something that's a, a benefit or not, that's kind of up to you. But um, those are, anyway, those are your options there. Gosh, I don't know. I always thought that bottom seam well, my vertical split cowling was the hardest thing to ever get that uh, uh, pin back into those uh, piano hinges. I Many times, uh, you have to use a drill and actually just drill that thing to get it to go through. Yeah, and I guess one of the things I don't like about the, um, the, the horizontal split is that that bottom section is a little bit unwieldy to put on by yourself, trying to get in there and... and uh, you almost need to have some sort of stand that you can kind of set the cowling on while you maneuver it up and get your, your fasteners into place. John, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I have a uh, – <laughs> that, that is exactly the problem. And it, it's the problem with the B model because it becomes it, – it is stock um, horizontal split. Um, I have a little uh, Harbor Freight uh, rolling, uh, you know, stool – that's pneumatic right. stool yeah and i it, it's perfect it, you just roll it underneath there you raise it up to where the cowl is going to be you roll the cowl underneath it and it makes it a lot easier but if you're trying to do it all alone um that's the only tool that will work is your harbor freight stool yeah because you can't support the weight of the cowl and run around and get all the fasteners along the cowling, uh, along the fuselage side in place. You just need an extra pair of hands, and I guess the stool is what gives it to you. Yeah, the stool just uh, it, it supports the bottom of it, and then you can go to either side. You can pin, you know, the left side. Then you work over to the, the other side and pin the other side, and you're, you're good. Okay, and then, uh, you know, we already talked about the speed cal, but there have been a few others that have – undertaken similar conversions where you have some sort of hybrid cowl where you have a nose bowl and then some sort of uh, aft boot cowl. Usually it's a metal boot cowl that that joins into your nose bowl. Um, if you're interested in that, um, there are some references on, on how that's all done. 
And I will say that um, just uh, just take it uh, as a matter of fact that no matter what you do on on your attempt to speed Cal, it's never going to be as fast as John's. No. And I think that's an entire podcast is the uh, <laughs> speed cal. Uh, big proponent. I still have one. Um, I may go back to it, the speed cal, because I have the B model right now. But if the B model is not fast enough, I'm going to have to go back to the speed cal. <laughs> and it does have a very distinctive look. So, again, if you're looking for oh, you know, you gotta, ways to make you your plane stand out. you got to love the speed cal. Come on. All those Corvair guys. That's that's the only thing that keeps them in the Corvairs is because they have the speed cal. Well, you know, I, I've heard that, that that's what they basically said. They said, I want that cowling. And somebody said, well, you got to put a Corvair underneath there if you want that cowling. And they, they said, done, I'll take it. Yeah, but you can do it with an V or, a, you know, a Jabiru. You just, they, they don't know that, that little rule. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to the speed cowl at a future episode. And we'll tell you all the secrets except how to go fast with it. We won't tell you that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, I, I just wanted to spend just a minute and talk about the wingtips and the tailtips. So, you know, by comparison, fitting the wingtips and tailtips is pretty simple. They they come pretty much ready to go. You have to do some minor clearance cuts. You know, the tailtips are slightly oversized. So you have to trim that fiberglass back to clear the structure of the uh, the fixed portion of the either horizontal stabilizer or vertical stabilizer. So you got to do a little bit of trimming. You have to insert that stiffener aluminum end rib in there. And, uh, and that goes pretty easy. Um, probably the biggest thing is you're going to use a lot of the same cutting and sanding and finishing techniques when you put on the tail tips. The wing tips, it's really just about trimming off the excess flange so that the tip will go in and kind of mate up with the, the wing skins on the top and bottom. And then around the main spar, you have the spar caps on the top and bottom. You have to trim pretty much the entire flange away right there by the by the spar cap. So you do that, and then it kind of slips up in there. The thing I'll point out about the wingtips is if the flanges on the fiberglass wingtip don't mate up real well with the angle of the wing skins, well, not to worry. You just grease up the inside or protect it with some packing tape and wax or whatever, but, um, you know, put some sort of release agent on the inside of the skin, mix up some resin and some cotton flock, and just kind of goop it on there, and then just stick that thing in, and that will recontour the flange to perfectly fit the inside of your, your uh, wing skins. And that will take care of a lot of the problems if it's trying to deform the end of the, the wing skin, kind of bend it down, or something like that. Uh, do your initial fitting. Don't don't put a lot of Clecos in it. Just kind of shove it up in there with some gooped up flock. Let it dry. Pop the whole thing out. Take off your your tape or clean up your grease or whatever you're using as a mold release, and uh, and you'll have a perfectly fitting wingtip. And, uh, and then you can just tell everybody like, I don't know what the problem was. Mine fit perfectly. Look how look how good it is. And uh, you'll never tell them that you just you know kind of recontoured it yourself. And Jeff, I know we've talked about this before in previous casts, but. When you mount those non-structural tips, I, I advocate finding the very softest aluminum rivets that you can use to do that. And do not use those steel rivets that you use for everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they put too much clamping pressure. And frankly, there's absolutely no reason why you need that strong of a, of a clamp holding that fiberglass tip in place. They are not going anywhere. You could put one-third the number of rivets and they would stay in place forever just fine. You don't need to worry about using aluminum rivets on those. They'll be fine. 
You mean you not worrying about using steel rivets? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like you, you can you can rest assured that if you use aluminum rivets on your fiberglass tips, that there will be no problems, even over the long term. It's more than strong enough to do it. So if anybody tells you that you know you're sacrificing something by switching to aluminum, that's just not the case. They're perfectly fine to use aluminum there. Yeah, if you ever have to take them out to do some wiring or bulbs or whatever it is you want to do, you'll be thankful you don't have to try to drill through the stainless steel into the fiberglass. Right. Right, and especially on the wingtips where it's not backed up by aluminum. So it, the uh, the bulb end of the rivet is going to be holding directly against the fiberglass. And if that thing starts to spin when you're trying to drill a rivet out, I don't know how you're going to get it to hold in place. So you want something that's going to come out, you know, halfway decent if you ever need to. You know, actually, you guys are talking about using it for there. I use aluminum rivets on all the cowl also, even in the, um, uh, attaching the, uh, the, uh, piano hinges to the edges. Um, you can get aluminum, uh, synced, you know, the countersinked, uh, rivets, um, to do those because they're just not as aggressive and they don't pull as hard. And so, and also, if you make a mistake, you can drill them out easy. So you can make a lot of uh, uh, lightweight uh, adjustments to any rivet into fiberglass should be aluminum, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yep. The, uh, the other thing is on the very back portion of your tail tips, there are maybe about six rivets that that rivet the fiberglass of the tail tip to the aluminum stiffener rib inside of it. This is the part that would be opposite of the actual elevator or rudder movable surface. And those, the head of the rivet is sitting directly on the fiberglass. So if you're looking for a way to spread that load out even a little bit more, you can, rather than going with a regular aluminum rivet, you can go to a large head fabric rivet, which just have a slightly larger head to further spread that load out. Whether you need to do that or not, that's up to you. But if you're looking for, you know, one more way to kind of prevent cracking on that fiberglass, that's another technique that you can use. Okay, and that that really is about it on the on the tail tips. Tail tips and wing tips are pretty darn easy. So just a, a little bit of um, you know cosmetic touch up to make them look good when you get them in place. And we talked about the rivets, and that's pretty much it on that. And then, uh, you know, custom fairings. So on my airplane, I have several custom fairings. Um, people ask about them all the time. But, you know, y- these fairings are not hard to do. They do have a little bit of finishing work that has to be done. But if you want to do fairings around your your gear legs, where the gear leg uh, meets the cowling on the bottom of the fuselage, or you want to fair the gear leg into the actual wheel pant piece, or you want to create a fairing over your your brake calipers if you have a hydraulic brake set on it or something like that, um, you can easily lay up these fairings and uh, and do this. And it, it's very simple. You um, you do it directly on the airplane. So you can, um, using modeling clay or pretty much any other technique that you want, create the shape that you want the fairing to take, you know. Then just come back in with Carnuba Car Wax, and wax over your modeling clay and uh, protect anything that you don't want glue to stick to. 
with um, heavyweight packing tape and then wax over your packing tape and then just lay your cloth fairing directly up over this. And when it's all done, you just kind of pop it off, take it over, trim up your, your, your fiberglass around the edges, sand it. You can use micro balloons to smooth out the surface and fill any little surface imperfections. And when you sand and prime them and paint them, they'll look great. And a set of fairings for, for whatever you're trying to do. You know, we're talking about a couple of weekends to make them. And, um, and they're very simple and they're going to be robust and they're going to last a long time. So we'll do, uh, we'll dig into custom fairings at another time. But just know that if you have a specific need, you can create your own custom fairings without much effort at all. All right, guys, what else? What other miscellaneous tips or things like that do we do we want to just pass along before we wrap this up? Well, I the only thing I would say is um, take uh, as you're you're trimming the cowl, uh, do it in in, in bits, um, nibble it. Don't take big bites. And there's a um, a YouTube or at least there was one when I did mine uh, on the Sonics uh, tips and tricks on how to, to work it in. And it's, it's an iterative process. So you do little by little by little, and it will pull in to the shape. It, it doesn't feel like it's making any progress, but then suddenly everything uh, comes into play. Um, it's not a very simple one cut, it fits. That's kind of where the cowl is. Um, or the, the canopy is, but the cowl is three-dimensional and it, it kind of requires you to pull it in little by little by little. Um, but also be careful. Uh, if you overcut, it's, it's fiberglass. You can replace it. You can repair it. So you can uh, extend out a piece or you can – so don't, don't be afraid of it. It just don't get real aggressive with it either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you just need to accept right from the very start that this is going to be a multi-iteration process. So take a little bite, see how it looks, and take another bite. Yeah, and bites are, are in the eighth inch range, not in the one inch range. Right. And, and a good point, you know, you're going to see that early on when you go to fit the cowling around the gear legs. If you have a tail dragger, the gear legs come out in the corners of the cowling. And you're going to have to, that's going to be the very first clearance cut you're going to have to make to get that on there. And, you know, you haven't made a single trim yet. You can't even start to mark a trim line until you can get it to go around the gear legs, poking out the corners. So the first thing people are going to want to do is cut some clearance there. And, you know, immediately you realize, I don't know what the final shape of this, this clearance hole I need to make is going to look like. I don't know whether it's big or small or it's round or oblong. You don't know any of that. And so you tend to kind of overthink it and then possibly overdo it. And the best thing to do is just, well, I know it's going to have at least this much has to be cut and sanded out of the way. So just go in there and do it and then check it. And then, you know, very quickly, you know, after three or four or five iterations, um, it's going to become very apparent um, where you need to cut or sand a little bit more. And the key is start small and don't be afraid to just get after it and, uh, and just start checking it out. Yeah, and know that you can repair any mistake you made. So um, once you get it done, you're going to go, oh, that was how it worked. Okay, that, that makes sense. I understand this. And then you'll, you know, then your next cowl will be perfect, right? 
right? <laughs> or your, you know, third cowl or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, just a couple of the random things that um, I wanted to throw out. Um, sometimes when you're drilling a hole in fiberglass, the drill bit will kind of break some fibers loose and you'll have kind of a raggedy, fuzzy edge on the inside. So one of the things you can do is you can heal those holes with a little bit of um, a little bit of raw resin. You can kind of, you know, put a little bit of resin down in that hole and then ream the hole out and that'll seal those fibers back down. But that's kind of a pain in the butt to mix up a little bit of resin and goop it into a hole and then come back in and ream it down the road. A simple way is just get a, a bottle of super glue and then before you rivet it up or whatever, just drop a couple of drops down in the in that hole that has those fuzzy broken fibers. Let the super glue glue those fibers down to the inside of the hole. And then you just have to come through with your drill bit and just ream it right back out right before you throw your rivet in. And that's a good way to kind of heal those holes. Not every hole is going to show that splintered kind of broken fiber look. But if you do, just have a little bottle of super glue handy, drop it in, and that'll be fine. And I'm not talking about gluing the rivet in the hole. I'm talking about using the super glue to heal the, the broken fibers. And then when it's dry, you kind of ream it out and then finish it up. Uh, make sure when you're all done that you paint the inside of your cowling because, you know, the, it has kind of a, a hard, glossy finish from when uh, it came out of the, the mold. But that finish is not always completely impervious to oil down the road. So when you're all done and you have everything the way you want it, clean it up real good and then paint it in some sort of enamel type paint. And that's going to keep the oil from soaking into your fiberglass. And over time, that oil will degrade the actual fiberglass. And over time, it'll, it'll ruin your cowling. So just get some good white enamel paint. Seal everything up good with a coat. And then that makes it really easy when you pull the cowling off to clean it up. It's because the oil will just kind of you know wash off of that enamel. You can use an engine degreaser or something like that. And it's not stuck down in the little nooks and crannies of the fiberglass weave. Um... Think about maintenance down the road. And so during the wintertime, you're probably going to want to throw your battery tender on there. And so think about how you're going to be able to make that easy. And if that means having an access door with a, with a pigtail for your battery charger maintainer lead, or you have a flush fitting uh, charge receptacle or something like that, or a ground power plug or something like that. But just think about that. Think about how are you going to maintain this with your battery charger and then have some sort of strategy, you know, right from the start that'll save you from having to go back and rework it later. And then make sure that, you know, you can do all the normal things. Make sure you can check your oil. You can um, sump your, your gas collator or if you have a drain sump line on your fuel system, whatever. You want to make sure that all that stuff is easy to do because, you know, you might tell yourself that it's not a big deal to, you know, to stand on one leg and jump through a hoop. But after a while, if it's not convenient, you just won't do it. And so don't set yourself up for failure. Make sure that your cowling supports all those things that you really ought to be doing as part of your routine maintenance. And then the last thing is just um, when you get ready to paint your cowling, just know that um, the gel coat is going to have that glossy, glossy finish. And if you don't come back with some fine sandpaper, something like 220 grit or something like that, and just sort of take that gloss off, when you spray that perfect coat of paint on there, it's going to peel up in big sheets because it doesn't have anything to tooth onto, and you're going to have chipping problems down the road. Maybe not right away, maybe it will be right away, but you got to go back and you got to kind of sand and, and then come back with your primer 
um, with something where the primer can actually grab onto. And um, if you if you make that mistake, uh, it'll probably be a year or two down the road, and you'll get flaking of your paint, and you'll have that that raw gel coat showing through. All right, guys, that's uh, that's everything on my uh, my last minute quick tips. Uh, did that spark any other final parting shots for you guys? Final wrap with John. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The vinyl wrap is a little more, uh, I guess, uh, resistant to that releasing of uh, not cleaning your cowl properly. But um, as Gary will know, there, there's challenge with that too. So yeah, like when you uh, lose your exhaust and it starts burning, well, the vinyl kind of peels up. Yeah. Well, at least it's, you know, repairable and um, that it's got that going for it. No, it's, and, and, you know, er, you know, like you said, um, the, the stock cowl not only has that glossy finish, but there's a release agent on that cowl. So if you paint over that, you're going to, it's going to release. So you need to really clean it up. So 220, 400 grit, um, sanding it out and then putting a degreaser on there is, is quite important. Yeah, yeah. Before you, and that's a good point. Yeah, and uh, when you say degreaser, John, what what are you recommending? Um, you know, acetone is a really good degreaser. There's other commercial products that aren't as aggressive. Um, for, before I wrap, I use uh, isopropyl alcohol to clean things up, but that just takes the grease off. It doesn't take any of the wax off. So there are there are wax removers. Um, acetone, like I said, is a good wax remover. So anything that'll take, uh, all that releasing gel off. Yeah. Well, and I like acetone too, because you can get it everywhere. And, uh, if you wear gloves and just work and in, in a good ventilated spot, it's, it's not overly burdensome to work with. You know, acetone is basically a fingernail polish remover. So think of it that way. All right, Gary, uh, I guess my, my final question for you would be after flying Hound Dog for, I don't know, six or eight years or 10 years or whatever, whatever the, the final count was, um, and you look back as to, you know, how things were working, were there things you did that you really, really liked or things you said, you know what, if I were to do that again, I would change my cowling just a little bit? And, and what was kind of your final, you know, looking back summary? Uh, you know, if I had the option, <laughs> I certainly never would have used the vertical split cowling. Uh, and I, you know, we all know reason why they got away from that. It's, it's just, it's just a booger to deal with. Uh, but that was all I had at the time. And I wasn't that ambitious to try to convert it into a horizontal split. Um, you know, initially I took the, the real easy route to, uh, with my access panels. I just basically used, uh, screws and, and anchor nuts for my oil access as well as my fuel door. And it's only two screws, and basically it's one screw you take out and the other one you loosen up, so it's not too big of a deal. Uh, but my last project, when I used the Hartwell latch, uh, that really is that really is a nice feature. I got to say, it's it's a, now it's a, just a one second thing to quickly check something, and you know, if I, I would really encourage someone to really think seriously about using something like a Hartwell latch on their access panels. You know, I also cut in some uh, power access point too on the side of my cowling. Uh, this last time I didn't need to do that. 
basically I just ran the pigtails down out for the uh, the trickle chargers to the bottom of the cowling and, and they just dangle down there. You can zip tie them and secure them to something that's not going to eat into your your engine mount frame. And you can just reach on the field there and just uh, attach your uh, trickle chargers very easily. You don't really need a separate door you know, or hole cut into your cowling to, to accomplish that task. Mm, okay. Yeah, um, I, I'm with you on the Hartwells. I use them on my oil and fuel door, and uh, and I like it. You never have to fumble for a tool. You just hit the button and go. And so it, it's just a really nice, refined, um, just a finished way of doing it. And you're going to have to put the work in up front, but every time you, you gas up, you're going to enjoy the convenience of having the push-button access. And I'm with you. I just uh, I run my my pigtail for my trickle charger up to my oil door. So I open up my oil door and I just kind of reach my fingers in there and kind of fish the pigtail out. But the whole point is just think about what you're going to do on your plane and then plan for that so you don't have to try to you know come back after a year or two and try to add something. Okay, John. Uh, looking back at all your various cowling iterations. Uh, what's your what's your top list of you know do this and if I were to do it over this is what I should have done. No, I've gone through all the iterations and uh, we we discussed all the uh, the issues. Um, I think going in 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 getting focused on a real complex thing like a uh, a fancy fuel door or a oral oil. Um, access door and trying to get that working is just, you know, there's a lot of simpler solutions. And so I'm, I'm, I go against you guys in that there are really super simple solutions that work really well. Um, but you know, if, if that's what you want, go for it Mm -hmm. and you want to work it. Yeah, and, and I, I understand where you're coming from because this is one of those things where you can have a ton of really good ideas and they're going to slow you down and drag out your finish you know, to your project. And for a lot of people, they just can't get over their own never-ending list of good ideas. And sometimes you got to be disciplined enough to pull yourself back and say, you know what, I want to fly this thing sometime before I'm, uh, you know, I'm too old to enjoy it. I got I to gotta control my appetite for all these innovations and just get it done. And sometimes the super simple solution is your best way to get in the air. And so you got to be honest about your own capabilities and, and the timeline that you want to try to impose on yourself. And the super simplest solution is the one that Sonics is going to recommend. Pretty much. Right. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, especially if you're a first time builder, uh, it, it's probably the way to go. Uh, those of us who are repeat offenders, you know, we kind of we know kind of a little bit more where we really want to spend the extra time to. And some things we'll say, yeah, I don't think so. No, I, I agree. And that's that's the beauty of the whole uh, the uh, hobby is go with what uh, you want to go. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that pretty well runs the gauntlet of the tasks you have to do to fit the cowling, some of the sticky spots, how you how you use the tools and how you correct mistakes and how you kind of foresee the type of things that you're going to want to incorporate. So I, um, I appreciate all that good advice and good input. Well, I think probably with uh, with finishing up the cowling, that probably catches us up with all the the big 
construction-related tasks that we have been meaning to do for the past couple of years. And so now we're getting more back into the um, the creative stuff, the um, the one-off stories, and and some of those other little things. However, if if you guys out there are listening, if if you think we have missed something glaringly obvious, or you want to know more about one particular little aspect, uh, please go ahead and send us some email and uh, and let us know. And we're going to try to incorporate some of these other little things into the coming rotation next year, and we'll see how all that goes. I just want to make a one uh, one comment. Um, I think uh, we're going to try to do another firewall forward seminar early in 2020. I'm thinking um, February timeframe. So if you're interested in that, it'll probably be over President's Day weekend, which is in the middle of February, and uh, Kansas City again. So you can check the website for details on that. We'll see how all that goes and, and kind of see how it shapes up. But that's uh, that's tentatively been set for mid-February, President's Day weekend. So with that, I'm just going to say uh, catch us on the web at www.sonicsflight.com. You can find the show notes for this at sonicsflight.com slash 64 and all those normal podcast locations like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, um, all that kind of stuff. Or you can go directly to the website and listen to it off of the webpage. And you can find that email link on our homepage. It's feedback at sonicsflight.com. And uh, shoot us a note. Tell us what you want to hear. We'll make sure we incorporate it. And let us we want to volunteer to be a guest speaker with an interesting topic. Add some color to our podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Color to the podcast. We need some fresh blood. Fresh meat. Yeah, that's a good point, John. Who do you have in mind? <laughs> There's a couple of new, really active uh, builders on the Facebook group that I'd like to get uh, to get, get engaged. They're they're energetic. They're they're at the point of uh, of flying, so maybe they're they're a good resource. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. We'll look into that. All right, guys. Well, I think that wraps us up. Uh, John, good luck on finishing up the Super B, and uh, I look forward to seeing that glider up close in person. Yeah, well, just come out. It'll be uh, hanging in my glider, or my hanger. And Gary, um, glad you had a good trip, and uh, look forward to uh, getting out your way and visiting you soon. Yeah, I'd love to have you out, buddy. All right, guys, enjoy some halfway decent fall flying, and um, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. All right. Views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. So, John, uh, what's the latest on your YX? Uh, the YX, uh, let's see. The um, I'm at the point of uh, I got to do the weight and balance and do a final uh, annual or you know condition inspection and get that in the logbook, and then uh, I think it's ready to fly.
Well, I noticed that all your decals were on, so, you know, that that was a really good sign. Uh, when the decals go on, it gets real. And that's yeah, all John it, really needs anyway to fly is just his decals. Or maybe I'm thinking about the glue that he sniffs prior <laughs> to putting the decals on. I, I can't keep those two straight with him sometimes. <laughs> I think we lost him again. Oh, my God. Did he not hear that? I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. That was good. Well, that's okay. We'll keep all that in. But uh... oh my god! 